Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. This is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, we came on here on Sunday morning. The sun was shining. It was it was beautiful outside. I mean, it was a little hot, a little on the hot side, but it was a great day for tailgating, for playoff basketball, game seven. Felt like there was no way that the Sixers lose on their home court game seven on Sunday night today gloomy day looks like it it could rain any minute now and the 76ers are eliminated from the playoffs it still doesn't feel real I mean I I really can't believe it it's the fact that you know first off the fact that the road team won Six of the seven games of this series is honestly remarkable. The, I mean, it's just a catastrophic collapse. The Sixers, we talked about them being one of the best home teams, you know, in the league right now. You said you did, you know, when the playoffs started, you even said yourself you didn't expect them to lose on their home floor for a majority of this playoffs, mm-hmm. and they lost three times at home in this series after months of talking about how important the one seed was. Real, so much to dive into. I mean, so much went wrong. Very little went right, and it, I, it really feels like the Sixers missed a golden opportunity this season. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is. I mean, we we said it after they dropped that twenty six point lead in game. What was that? Five. Game yeah. five, they drop a twenty six point lead, and I'm like, "There, this is this is a choke job. Like they're choking the series away." I didn't think that they'd get out of game six at, on the road. I thought for sure that was it. They somehow did it, and then they brought it home. And then I'm thinking, there's no way they lose this at home. Are you serious? Like, you're going to lose three times to Atlanta at home? And they did. And the Sixers are chokes. Like, they look like chokes. They are chokes. And, you know, let, let's just let's start from the beginning. I mean, from the jump, it, it was like – the last time that they played at home, even before that that huge collapse, they got off to a great start. They were in rhythm. They were moving the ball. They just looked like the clear-cut better team. Sunday, I don't think there was a single moment in that game where I was saying, this team is, is better than Atlanta. Yeah, it was bad. And really, when you're at home, especially the Wells Fargo crowd, you know, was still electric. It was still, you know, high intensity environment for a game seven. And with that crazy of a crowd and the way they were hanging on with every single, you know, play and possession and big thing, just waiting for that that moment to really erupt. The Sixers only needed like just one run where they could really break off and let the, cl- the crowd get energized and really let it get loud in there. And it never came about. And part of it came because... They were extremely careless with the ball. Turned the ball over 17 times in game seven. Resembles game one where they coughed it up 20 times. For the team that's the one seed, the more experienced team, the core players that have played in a game seven before, they should understand the value of taking care of the basketball. And that just wasn't apparent in game seven. A lot of careless passing, a lot of guys trying to do too much, you know, guys getting plucked from behind. And it was just really, you know, just sloppy from a team that had been there before. And it's just, you 
you can't cough the ball up 17 times and expect to win a playoff game, let alone a game seven. Yeah. I mean, throughout the whole series and, and we've, we've talked about this a lot, like the Atlanta is the inexperienced team in that series. They're the fifth seed. You would think that like the roles were reversed there. Cause like the Sixers are the team that's blowing big leads. The Sixers are the team that can't take care of the ball. They turned it over seven more times than the Hawks on Sunday night. And I mean, even though the Sixers couldn't get a rhythm going, it was tough for them for certain players to get a rhythm going because the rotations were strange. Again, it was, it was one of those nights where it's just like, it's game seven. Certain players just have to play more than they're, you know, used to playing. And we've, we've been saying that for the entire playoffs. Now first round, you can get away with it. You're playing the eight seed, you're playing Washington. They knew they were going to beat Washington. Early on against Atlanta in the series, I think the Sixers needed to accept, okay, this team can actually beat us. So we need guys to step up and we need to to minimize these rotations and stick with, you know, certain guys. Game seven, Doc Rivers is still still going deep to his bench. He's still putting guys in, you know, having them come like Shake Milton comes in, he doesn't play the entire first half, and then he comes in like late in the game to play like a critical role. And it's like, I get it. He was the unlikely hero in that one game, but how many times are guys just going to come cold off the bench and just immediately heat up? Yeah, 10 guys in a game seven. When when do you ever see that? Looking at the game seven we saw the night before with Brooklyn and Milwaukee, they completely threw rotations out the window. Kevin Durant played every single second. James Harden played just about every single second of that game. And that's what you have to do at that point when your back is against the wall and your season is on the line. You need your stars to go and win you the game. I mean, credit to Tobias Harris. He played 40 minutes. Joel Embiid floated around 41. I think he, you know, even with his injured knee, he probably should have pushed him a little more because he really was your only source of offense. And then you're looking at Seth Curry. Seth Curry played 30 minutes. Yeah, I was. Seth Curry has been the Sixers third leading scorer in the playoffs and has been absolutely lights out. It's honestly one of the only reasons why this series went to seven games. I get he was being targeted on defense, but you need his offense on the floor. It's incredible that he wasn't even able to crack 33 minutes. I mean, we've seen him play more minutes than that during the regular season, let alone a game when you're on the brink of elimination and your season's on the line. It just, it doesn't make sense. Like you said, with the shake Milton thing too, shake Milton doesn't play the first three quarters and then you're going to have him come in and play half of the fourth quarter. Like it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. There was a point. Um, I think it was in the fourth quarter. And I, I was, I remember thinking, where's Seth Curry Seth like Seth Curry legit has been the best player on the Sixers for the last two games. He's, he's kept them in the series. And I thought he was hurt for a second because I'm like, I don't even see him around on the bench and he's, you know, doing his stretching thing or whatever. So it was hard to see him. But I was thinking, I was like, this guy's got to be hurt, right? Like, you don't have him on the court. It's got to be something wrong with him. No, just Doc Rivers wanted to play defense in a game where you have no offensive rhythm whatsoever. They they were just like, like I, I just don't get it. It was like, let's just pass the ball to Joel and then hope Joel can hit one of these fadeaway jumpers. Like that, that's their whole offensive game plan. That's and been then the story every last three then, games. Yeah. And then every now and then Tobias will attempt to try and do too much. 
And then we already know what happens when Tobias tries to do too much. So it's just like no offensive rhythm. They're not sharing the ball. Um, you know, Ben Simmons is just like, it's four on five with him. And he's just so scared to play offense, but we, we talk about the rotation. So for this loss specifically, we'll, we'll talk about the, the series loss and, and who's to blame, who's to blame for this loss specifically. I think it's another game where it's, it's just way too hard to put it on one singular guy. I mean, I feel like there is, critiques to had with Doc Rivers in this game. There's stuff to be said about Ben Simmons. Although Joel Embiid really carried the Sixers to the finish line, he still coughed the ball up eight times from, you know, the guy that's the focal point of your offense. You know, And some of his turnovers were sloppy, I hate to say it, but a lot of trying cross-court passing, careless outlet passing. Like, you know, you're the guy, even more so now, like you said, with how bad the offense was, the, the game truly – at the end of it, when it really comes down to it, it, came down to his shoulders. So when you're turning the ball over eight times, you know, as much as you're given as a scorer and as dominant as you were, there's stuff to be said with him as well. So I think it's very tough to put it on one singular person. It really is just a, a catastrophic team loss. I mean, teams don't choke because of one singular person. It, it's like I've said before, it's a snowball of things that turn into an avalanche. And this game seven collapse was, you know, the culmination of all that. The Sixers looked like, I mean, exactly how they looked against Toronto a couple years ago. I, it almost, it, it felt like they were progressing past that, those same issues. But li- I mean, literally you see the same thing from Joel Embiid. Like you say, he had bad turnovers there down the stretch. He used to be a guy who, you know, if you rush him late in the game, he's going to cough the ball up. And I thought all season long this year, he got so much better at that. Like if he got double teamed, he was so good at passing it out. He made good decisions, even made some great passes, but in this series, he went back to the way he was before. Ben Simmons, you know, what, what he did in that Toronto series, he passes the ball off and then he goes, hides in a corner. And then he's just, it's four on five. He does nothing offensively when he has the ball. He's like not a threat to shoot. So you can just double team someone else easily because he's not going to play aggressive. He's not going to shoot the ball. Everything that we saw two years ago from the Sixers in the playoffs, we saw this year except for I, Tobias Harris played a little bit better. He couldn't hit a shot in those playoffs a couple of years ago. But again, it just goes to prove, you know, then they had Jimmy Butler who really would actually put the team on his back down the stretch. They don't have that player. So really, like you say, it can go, the blame can go to anybody because they don't have a killer. Joel Embiid, I get it. He's injured. He's exhausted. He's a big guy playing so many minutes, but at the end of the day, you're supposed to be the closer and you're not Tobias Harris is supposed to be the closer. I mean, the guy was like missing dunks. Yeah. He had a lot of ugly misses in the fourth, a lot of, you know, just layups (laughs) that you really just prayed rolled the other way. Ben Simmons in total took four shots in a game seven playoff game. This is supposed to be a two way superstar. I don't want to hear that Ben Simmons is a two way superstar ever again. I don't, I just, I simply don't, you don't take four shots in a game seven. Like you, he's so frightened to get fouled because he can't make his foul shots. He won't even like attempt to attack the basket. He had like, let's talk about the play. 
And first of all, first of all, do we have to? Oh, we have to. Let's talk about how much support this guy got during, like throughout that game. Every time he touched the ball, like encouraging applause. You would think, you would think, like I, I don't even know how to explain it. Like everyone it really, tries. It, it was like faults all over again. It really literally was. everyone tries so hard to encourage this guy because they know that it's mental to him, and he already said that. And I mean, I honestly thought this guy's gonna get booed during that game because like everyone's so fed up with him nope everyone's stuck with ben simmons every time he touched the ball they're clapping for him like encouraging him like yet yeah, you know back this guy down make this shot he gets a prime opportunity in the fourth quarter to just throw down a slam the place would have went crazy if ben simmons throws down that slam he passes it up to matisse Thybul, who has to try and like what, what he had like two people on him, I think, trying to make that layup. You're passing it to a guy who also isn't really that good on offense, and you're putting the ball in his hands to try and make this tough shot when all you had to do was throw down a slam dunk, something that, I mean, you normally do well, but you're so scared. Because he said, his, his explanation, well, I thought Gallo was behind me. Even if he was, why does it matter? Yeah, that his response might have been even worse to the actual play itself. I agree when he said his his full thing was basically said that, you know, he assumed Gallo was coming up on his back and he saw Colin step off. So he thought Matisse had a clear lane to the rim. But if you're aware that your defender's behind you and you just said that the rotating defender stepped back, it's just you in the rim. I mean, it, it was a bad look ended up costing them a point because, you know, although Matisse got fouled, he still only hit one of the two free throws. And like you said, that's one of those, like, momentum-shifting plays down the end where if he throws down a big slam, the the crowd's going to go into eruption. I agree. The crowd stuck with him all night. Even in warm-ups, he came out when he was doing his his pregame warm-up routine with Sam Cassell. It was a majority spent at the free throw line. I feel like, honestly, I don't think I saw him shoot a different kind of shot outside of free throws during his time on the floor and fans were cheering after every single make they were hanging on every play for him. So the, the love and support was definitely there from the home crowd, but yeah, there it's something mentally. There's just, there's something going on. I feel like early on in the season, I said that he has a very tough time of flipping the switch of facilitator and attacker. And that once it's flipped to facilitator, there's no real ever time that that switch ever goes down the other end, which is why we see him dish 13 assists in the game seven. But plays like that, I mean, it's really – it's inexcusable. This is the guy's one of your franchise cornerstones. This is, you know, someone that's looked on to lead the team. And when he's making plays like that, what can you even say at this point? He re- At the end of the day, he picks up a wide open dunk. That's really simply what it comes down to. You know, the – the Ben Simmons narrative after this series definitely has changed greatly. I feel like on both sides, both haters and supporters, I think there's there's definitely some tough conversations to be had moving forward. But yeah, that play was rough to watch. For sure. And, you know, I, I've been someone, you know, for people that's been following my work, like I've, I've given Ben Simmons the benefit of the doubt, for sure. Like, I, I definitely said, you know, he brings so much more value than the whole shot thing. But there's been plenty of times where people have said, yeah, that's that's fine and dandy. But when that second round of the playoffs comes around, you know, you need to change a little bit. Like, he he needs to, to bring more to the game. And 
I mean, it, it's been exposed several times now. That's that's the third third time it's been exposed. So it's unfortunate, but I mean, it, it's starting to it's starting to leak over to people on the roster too, like Joel. Joel Embiid kind of threw some shade there to Ben Simmons during his uh, his post game press conference. Yeah, that was. I feel like there was there was two different jabs essentially. I don't know. I don't know if the second one was fully at him, but obviously he brought up the the play being the turning point in the game, and then later on he kind of dove into you know the growth of his game and what's next for him and what he wants to do in the off season and the player he wants to come back to be this upcoming season. And he talked a lot about you know, being able to do everything on the court is important, especially when you're the team's best player. And then he, and then his next tangent was about, you know, creation on the outside and shot making on the outside. So I don't know if that was another jab at Ben Simmons or, you know, just him being aware of him truly trying to just completely destroy all barriers of not, you know, just being a post center because of how big he is and really wanting to be, like this seven foot 280 pound like Kevin Durant type player and be able to do everything all over the floor but yeah definitely some some interesting shade thrown at Ben Simmons and even from Doc Rivers as well not necessarily shade but Doc has defended Ben you know through and through all season obviously we know that we've you know been around him all year and even after game seven he was just kind of defeated and really just kind of had that you know throw your hands up in the air what are you going to do kind of approach to it yeah and Joel throwing, I mean, Joel throwing shade at Ben is literally nothing new. I think it's just more because he did it a lot last year. There's a lot of times last year he said, well, we need help with the spacing. Guys have to, you know, jump out of their comfort zone and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I don't I don't know what goes on behind the scenes with those two. Obviously, it's it's not that they don't like each other. They don't really have much of a relationship, it seems like there's not a lot of talking between the two. And I don't know if Joel is saying like, you know, asking Ben behind the scenes, like, Hey, can you do this? And then it just got to the point where he was like, all right, well then forget it. I'm a, I'm a call him out in the media. Cause that's what kind of happened with Brett Brown too. It got to the point where it was like, I got to tell this guy, you know, shoot more threes through the media. And then obviously he lost Ben like that. So it's becoming apparent that Ben is just unwilling to change with this organization. Now, We'll have more. We'll, we'll talk about this more later on down the line because obviously there's going to be a lot of talk about what happens with Ben Simmons, you know, in the future. But I think at this point, Embiid is sick of it, and I mean, how how can he not be? Like everyone saw that play. You have like a, a slam dunk, a slam dunk opportunity, and he passes it up to Matisse Thybul. It's tough. It has to be tough to watch, especially for a guy like Embiid who continues to just grow his game. And you, you could tell from how things went down the postseason last year to coming into this season, how dedicated Joel Embiid was in the offseason, even with it being a super short offseason, came in in shape, you know, worked on his game, even throughout the course of the regular season and improved. You know, you talk a little bit about how he improves passing out of double teams this season, which was extremely apparent through the regular season, despite how he looked in game seven. So I think seeing the way that he, you know, continues to grow his game and has that hunger and that desire to really just cement himself among the NBA elite and Ben Simmons, while he has, his game has grown since he entered the NBA, it hasn't really grown to the sense of the same that we've seen from Embiid. Yeah. I mean, it, it grew a lot. Like the one thing I don't agree with is when people say Ben Simmons hasn't 
improved at all because yeah. I mean his defense was actually a question mark coming out of LSU. A lot of people said, you know, his his defense is is whatever. I mean, obviously now he's a defensive player of the year um finalist. Obviously, he's improved if that was a question mark and he's, you know, one of the best in the game. But at the end of the day, you can't like you can't just be a great defender point guard. Like, yeah, he's a good passer, he's good facilitating, but you have to do more. And you're supposed to be this all-star. Like I said, they call him two-way superstar. But he's not, though. He's not a two-way superstar. He's a good, good offensive player. Obviously, I'm not one that's just going to look at box scores and be like, well, he has to score more. But it's true. He has to at least attempt more, at least try, like, four shots in a game seven. Four shots, Kev. Yeah, it's not great. And like you said, it's not even like he had – well – to be he does have to score more. I mean, Ben Simmons didn't crack double digits the last three games of this series. He hasn't cracked over more than 11 points since his outburst uh, when he had that, that huge second half when he ended up finishing with 18 points. But with his game, even with him having that pass-first mentality, if he is more aggressive and more assertive and is getting downhill and putting pressure on the rim and making defense account for him – all that does is open up the floor for him and allow him to showcase his elite level playmaking because he is, he's one of the best passes in the NBA with his size and his IQ. He truly can put on a playmaking showcase. He did it in game seven, dish 13 assists and it didn't even feel like it as crazy as that sounds. So I, I agree. He just, he needs to be more assertive. That That's simply what it comes down to when you have wide open dunks like that, when you're in the open floor and you have your defender backpedaling, with his size and speed, guys cannot keep up with him. When you're in the open floor and you have Danilo Gallinari backpedaling, even if you're petrified of getting fouled, just blow by him. He can't keep up with you. If you are if you hit your max speed, you're likely going to be alone at the rim anyway because not many players in the league can keep up with you. So it's just – there's just so much to unpack with it. It's funny. A couple of years ago – uh, a certain veteran player made a comment and said that Ben Simmons is elite in transition. And then I don't remember the exact word he said. I think he just said like average in, in half court. It was Jared Dudley. People lost their minds, freaked out at Jared Dudley. Jared Dudley was correct. And he said it in the playoffs because he, he noticed it. Jared Dudley might not be the best player, but it doesn't take the best player to understand the game and understand, you know, okay, just because Ben Simmons is a better player than Jared Dudley, Jared Dudley was correct. Everything he said about that was correct. Now, it's funny you look at the guy who, I mean, he defended Ben Simmons all season long, like got so defensive of him. Doc Rivers freaked out, not like freaked out, but like, his, his tone would change a lot when talking about Ben Simmons. And he didn't get as defensive after game seven. He was asked straight up, it was a great question, do you think Ben Simmons can be a point guard on a championship-winning basketball team? Doc said, I don't know the, an the, like, the answer to that. I can't answer that question right now. If that was Brett Brown, Brett Brown would have said, Absolutely. I think Ben Simmons can be, you know, maybe he'll just have to do a few things. And then, you know, later on down the line, like he, he can definitely, you know, be a, a point guard on a championship winning team. Doc didn't even do that for him. 
And it's funny because Doc and Ben, even for most of the year when the whole point guard thing came up, both of them were would, you know, kind of just shut it down and be like, oh, you know, Ben's a basketball player. Doc doesn't really care about positions, this and that. And, and now even, you know, when the point guard thing was brought up, like you said, he said he doesn't know. And I think he does know and he just didn't want to say no. I think it's abundantly clear that Ben Simmons can not be Ben Simmons as currently constructed as a player cannot be a point guard on a successful like playoff team. Everyone talks about him being a souped up Draymond Green. And I truly think that that is the key to unlocking his potential. You need to put him in that point forward role, cement him there and still have a legitimate point guard on the outside who can create, who can initiate the pick and roll, who can, you know, draw fouls, is willing to go to the foul line, can handle the ball in those late game situations. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think, I mean, obviously it's disappointing because it's Ben Simmons, but I don't think uh, calling him a Draymond green is like offensive. And like, yeah, it's far from an, it's far from an insult. Draymond green was a key piece of, you know, arguably one of the best dynasties ever and the best one of the modern era and is likely going to go down as a hall of famer. So even being a souped up version of that is not an insult. It should still be viewed as a compliment, but I think it just, it, it talks about the the shift of the lens that we see Ben Simmons through, which it's clearly needed at this point because, you know, it's been needed from the beginning because, you know, the whole the next LeBron tag and stuff like that. But now looking at Ben Simmons through that kind of Draymond Greenish lens, I think is the proper way to to view him as a player because their skill sets are pretty much almost identical at this point. Definitely. Yeah. And like, again, it, it's, it's going to take a little bit to get over because, like you said, Ben was the next LeBron James is what everyone said. All right, this guy's going to come in and literally be like the second coming of LeBron James. And then now we're talking about he's maybe Draymond Green, which again is not a bad thing. It kind of reminds me of not on the same level, but remember when Andre Iguodala first came to Philly, AI two, he's AI two. And then it just like, it didn't pan out the way everyone thought it would, but then he went to golden state and carved out like a really good career in golden state when he finally got there. I mean, I don't think it's quite time to say like, Hey, Ben's got to be this, you know, sixth man or anything like he's still a starter in the league still could probably, Mm -hmm. you know, make all-star teams in the future with like a reduced role, but he just isn't two way superstar. Like it's just not, it's not him. Yeah, I still think that Ben Simmons is a very good player and will be a very good player in this league for years to come with his facilitation, with his defense. And if you can get him in an offensive system where, you know, less is required from him in terms of being a scorer, I still think he can be a more than viable piece on a very good team. I just feel like now that the talk needs to be had of, you know, if Ben Simmons can be a first or second best player on a title team to where now maybe you might view him as, you know, the, the third or fourth offensive option on a very good team. And then, you know, the whole, you know, where he turned in terms of best player lies, I think it's clear that he needs improved perimeter play and, you know, perimeter creators along with him. Basically he needs to be paired with guards. That's yeah. simply what it comes down to. he, he can't be put in the backward anymore. He needs to be put in the front court along another big and have, you know, those perimeter creators with him as well. Because part of what makes him so, you know, disappearing in the half court is 
he was never really used in the pick and roll as a roller. I was talking about to somebody before the game yesterday. Part of what makes him so ineffective now is because Brett threw him in that point guard role and spent four years of never exploring him off the ball. And then Doc is merely just like scratching the surface in year one. So, I mean, it's a culmination of things. But, you know, Ben Simmons, like Doc said after the game, a lot of work to be done this offseason heading into next season, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. Ben Simmons can still be good, but work definitely needs to be done. Yeah, that's definitely my biggest thought is at this point where they're at, maybe it's time that Ben Simmons gets a fresh start somewhere. Maybe another team unlocks him. Because I think at this point, We'll we'll dive you know deep into this in in future episodes, but just my initial reaction is I think at this point the Sixers did what they did and they're too far gone into they never forced this guy to come out and not be scared to to shoot the ball and I think at this point that's just so like it, it's like damaged like you can't fix that new coaches like. I thought, well, we all thought that Doc Rivers was going to come in and be that guy to like kind of force his hand. Doc obviously went the completely opposite direction and defended him. I'd almost say more than Brett Brown did. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is not the Doc Rivers I thought that was coming in. I thought, you know, oh, holding accountable. And obviously Ben says Doc holds him accountable. I don't believe that. Like, there's no way I believe that. Like, Maybe it's different behind the scenes and Ben is really just that stubborn, but I'm not buying that. I don't think that that's the case. Like, yeah, Doc might yell at him a little bit, but I think it's more so Sam Cassell playing. Like, it's like good cop, bad cop. Sam Cassell's the bad cop and Doc's the good cop. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. Doc was supposed to unlock this guy and he just, he's the same player as last year. Yeah, I mean... Outside of that really good stretch we saw from him in the weeks leading up to the All-Star break. Which yeah, is hilarious he, considering the timing. Because remember, he fell outside of that top 10 voting in the All-Star game. But go ahead. Which, I mean, maybe that stretch gives you some hope of what Doc could do moving forward if Ben is still here. But but like you said, it really feels like Sam Cassell was the one putting in all the work. And as scary as it sounds, Sam might not be here next year. Yeah. I've been saying for, you know, about two weeks now as all these head coaching spots are coming out. Now the Sixers season's over. The Sixers need to go hide Sam Cassell in the mountains somewhere. So teams forget about him and cannot interview him for their head coaching positions because they're going to need him here moving forward, not only for Ben Simmons, but for Tyrese Maxey, for Shake Milton. Sam Cassell definitely deserves to be a head coach. But in terms of the value he brings to the Sixers, he is going to be an extremely tough goodbye if he is able to get hired somewhere else. Definitely. And I, I was actually, I'm, I'm shocked that he's not getting the same amount of attention. Like it's more so, uh, you know, other coaches that, that doc had mm-hmm. or no, 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 never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm confused here, but um, yeah, no, he's not, right. I mean, he hasn't Tibbs was a, a disciple of doc from Boston days as well. So there, yeah. there are some assistants. It's this yeah, weird but... thing of like, when you're too good at your job, like where people don't get a promotion because they're too good at their current job. Like maybe Sam Cassell is just so good as an assistant coach. It's holding him back from making the jump to head coach. It could be. I mean, look at uh, Dan Burke. Yeah. Every, like everyone loves Dan Burke. Like they're exactly. like this guy, great defensive coach, but how long has Dan Burke been coaching? And he just right. like, 
It's just an assistant. So and there's the same said about Sam Cassell. There's been endless stars that have come along. I mean, John Wall praised him a lot when he was in yeah. Washington. There's been so many players that have come along and said how great Sam has been for them behind the scenes, but yet still is just unable to crack that that head coaching barrier. I'm glad you bring that up too, the whole John Wall thing, because that was another thing that everybody was like, Oh, he helped out John Wall so much. Like he's gonna do that for Ben. So at this point, it's becoming apparent that maybe maybe the player needs to to do something here because like and obviously we all know he says mentally he's he's like kind of checked out a little bit but listen man it it's on him like you you have the skill set you have the talent we see you shoot the ball you can shoot the ball i don't get it like it it's there he just won't do it so at this point it's like i think the sixers did all they could it's kind of like the markel fold situation where it was just time like you tried everything that's it. Like let, let another organization try and unlock them. Ben to me strikes me as the guy that maybe he goes to another team. That's not really playoff ready. And he just like tears it up. Like if Houston actually was serious about dealing James Harden to the Sixers, Ben would probably do great numbers in Houston. He would probably tear it up on the Rockets. They wouldn't go far, but he'd probably start looking like that player that everyone wants him to be. But when you're on the Sixers and you're playing alongside Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris, who's another good player, Seth Curry, who's really like taking a next step in, in the right direction. I don't, I don't look at Ben and say like, you know, Oh, this guy's, you know, one of this guy's like the second best on the team. Like there's other guys that come out and have better games than he did, you know? So it's cause there were times where I, I thought like, I think Tobias Harris deserves Ben Simmons' spot in the All-Star game more than Ben Simmons does. Maybe. I mean, they're, yeah, he's they're borderline All-Star. Yeah, there definitely is. And I, for most of the first half of the year, Tobias really was kind of the, the, the Robin to Joel's Batman in terms of offense. But I think what kills that debate is that when people talk about the Sixers, they talk about, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, even now with all, you know, the national headlines and all the national talk that's going to come up. When people talk to Sixers, it's Embiid and Simmons, not Embiid right. and Harris or Embiid, Simmons and Harris. So it's tough, man. A lot of tough conversations coming up this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it'll be – I don't I don't think it'll be fun. I think it'll be interesting to say the least. I think it's going to be extremely uh, stressful for Sixers fans. Especially if, especially if Ben Simmons is like your favorite player, <laughs> you're not going to like what happens this off season. And man, uh, like I said, like, we'll, we'll dive deeper into that, but just, just the idea that Daryl Morey reportedly had Ben Simmons on the trade block earlier in the year before really before any of this was even a conversation is very, uh, it's very telling to how, what can go down this off season, especially after that playoff series. Cause I mean, there's no way Daryl Morey like didn't get super frustrated. Watch. I mean, when there was no, nobody in the crowd this season, we got to see Daryl Morey watch basketball games <laughs> and <laughs> that guy gets fired up watching basketball games. And I mean, he must've been so frustrated watching this, this series. Yeah, especially in terms of, you know, he's a super big numbers guy. Like, he's very analytics-driven. So, I uh, I don't think the numbers were very great from Game 7, if I based on what my eyes saw. 
not even game seven, really just the whole series. The, the I mean, series. that was extremely disappointing series. I mean, but... when Ben Simmons is having a lower usage percentage in the second half of games than Dwight Howard and Danny Green, something is severely wrong. Yeah, it's oh, – man, it, it's just really bad. Like, they, they dropped the ball, like, really they, bad. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, put it simply – they really kind of cost up maybe their biggest chance of a title outside of the, you know, if you want to have the debate of how things go, if the Kawhi shot doesn't go, but we talked for weeks about how crucial the one seed was for home court advantage for the easier path to the Eastern conference finals. And now the Sixers are packing up after dropping three games at home, losing to a five seed Brooklyn was hobbling to the finish line, you know, how things would have gone against Milwaukee. I don't know, but I mean, that that's two teams that haven't been in the conference finals in ages. So it really could have went either way. And then you're looking on the, the West side and, you know, Sixers maybe would have had a chance against either of those teams. No disrespect to Phoenix or the Clippers, but this really felt like it, this was their year to make the run at the title. Yeah, maybe maybe Sixers fans will, will say that start saying this year comes with an asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> like we talked oh, about on the oh, other episode. Yeah, now it definitely does. <laughs> um undoubtedly. Yeah, but I mean, listen, at the end of the day, too, credit to the Atlanta Hawks. That's a really good young Absolutely. team. Trey Young, I mean, first of all, he, he did not play good in game seven. <laughs> Kevin Herter actually really killed it. Uh Gallinari had a good game. McDonavich was hurt, obviously, but I mean he's he's a great player. So like that the future is bright for that team. And the fact that they were going into Madison Square Garden and winning games, and that was a tough crowd, like New York fans were really like giving them hell. Then they come into Philly and win three. Like this this Philly has been one of the toughest environments in the last few years. And they come in and win three playoff games, including a game seven. Like all credit to Atlanta Hawks. Like, if, if anything, like, you know, they deserve this a lot. So credit to them. Obviously, like we say, Sixers dropped the ball, shot themselves in the foot, choked it away. It doesn't matter. I mean, credit to Atlanta. And they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals where they'll play the Bucks. that another team that really everyone expected Brooklyn to win that series. Obviously, injuries hurt them more than anything. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Injuries happen. We talked about it on the last episode. So, in your opinion, who goes to the NBA Finals from the East? Milwaukee. Yeah. I, I think so. Like you said, no discredit to the Atlanta Hawks, but Milwaukee's a tough team. They've looked very good at times. I, Atlanta had very little answer for Embiid. I think the same is going to be said with Giannis. How they how they decide to defend the Bucks front court is going to be interesting with Brooke Lopez spending a lot of his time on the outside. Maybe they put John Collins on him and they have Capella guard Giannis. But the Bucks, even though Giannis isn't really a three-point shooter, could potentially play five out at times. I think Drew Holiday is a more than capable defender for Trey Young. And I just think Milwaukee's the better team. And I could really see it being a sweep. Oh, a sweep. Interesting. So I, I got Bucks in six. In six. In six, yeah. I think I think Atlanta. Are you that impressed by the Atlanta Hogs? Uh no, I'm more not impressed with the Sixers, but (laughs) I just I just think that they're a tough team. And I think right now 
Like it's not easy to go in. So credit to the Sixers to go in and win in Atlanta because right now their fan base that was absent a year ago is now suddenly like very into it, very intense. Um, I think that they just make it tough. Cause like the thing with Milwaukee too is I know Brooklyn is really good, but those first two games, Milwaukee was not that impressive, like at all. And Milwaukee's a really good team, like you said, but before those injuries against Brooklyn, they just did not look that impressive. And then obviously when Kyrie Irving goes down and then you got James Harden, who's trying to play and he's just not James Harden, the James Harden that we know, the team isn't that good. Like you're playing Kevin Durant and you're playing Kevin Durant. I'm not even going to say, and a bunch of other people, you're playing Kevin Durant. So I think that Milwaukee is going to be shocked by Atlanta a little bit, just like how everybody else has been shocked by Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta wins, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be a series worth watching. And I think at the end of the day, the bucks will advance. Finally. I don't, what do you think happens to Budenholzer? At this point, he has to keep his keep job, his job right? right? Yeah. I mean, like they he... they rectified their Miami Demons. They beat Brooklyn, you know, despite all the injuries. And, now, I mean, they're about to go to the finals. So I don't see how you could fire the coach at that point outside of, you know, them just completely imploding yeah. between now and, you know, whenever the season decides to end. But, listen, they turned the corner. I mean, I agree with a lot of what you just said, but – when push came to shove, when they smelled blood in the water, I mean, they took it right to Brooklyn. And now seeing that the Sixers just got eliminated, they have to be fired up and they have to be smelling that blood in the water again. So I, True, I don't but think they, they, you don't want to downplay the competition, though. I, I agree. But I that Milwaukee defense, they're, they're just so switchable and they have so many options for so many different kinds of players. I think that they'll be more than capable of holding down that Atlanta offense and at some point, the moment has to catch up to Atlanta. I mean, this is their first postseason run together of their core. And here they are, you know, stealing games in Madison Square Garden, winning game sevens in, in Philadelphia. So, I don't know. I just think now their their time has run out. And, I mean, credit to them. This incredible season for them. They've definitely outdone their own expectations, whether they want to admit it or not. But I think Milwaukee is, you know, where they finally hit their end of the road. Yeah, I mean, regardless of – what happens? I mean, Atlanta could Atlanta could get swept, and it's still a successful season for them. Because yeah. I mean, you think about it, they had a different head coach at the beginning of the year. Right. They changed coaches in the middle of the year, and now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like that's and then credit to Nate McMillan too. I'm sure Indiana feels yeah. some type of way about that. Like they're already searching for a new head coach after one season, and the guy that they fired and that they kind of low-key clowned about his playoff record is in the Eastern Conference Finals. So credit to Nate McMillan. I'm sure Atlanta's not going to hesitate to make sure he comes back, even though uh, they could lose him still. I don't know why he would leave. It's like – it's just like right now it feels yeah. like a match made in heaven. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're already here. You already yeah. know the team. You have a good young team. Like any coach I'm sure would want to coach that team. Right. Like they're good and they're young. And so, they clearly fight for him. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, regardless of what happens, it was a successful season for Atlanta. I don't think they go much further. I think, you know, they put up a good fight. Bucks and six for me. You say Bucks and four. So we'll see how that goes. Um, And that's all for today. We're definitely, definitely, definitely going to unpack some of these uh, other key topics because there, I mean, there's so much to talk about. 
And today uh, we, we go through exit interviews for, for some other players. Uh, maybe, maybe they bring Matisse Thibel on today after he gets a day. It's <laughs> a rough post-game yeah. press conference from Matisse Thibel of all people. Cause this is a guy who mm-hmm. really is normally positive and all yeah. smiles and he just did not want to say anything. So yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was definitely something. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I expect that kind of stuff out of like Ben Simmons, but yeah, that was that was different from Matisse. But today we got exit interviews, so I mean, there it's it's going to be like I said, an interesting off season, and there's going to be plenty to talk about. The coverage goes on, so follow Kev on Twitter. Drop the handle at Kevin MCC NBA. Mine's at jgrasso underscore, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.